the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Oh, yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you so very much for joining us. On Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. It is the seventh morning of the seventh month in the year of our Lord, 2023. And it also happens to be a particular day of the week. We like to call it Free For All Friday! (laughs) Oh, yes, indeed it is. It's a Friday, and it came a lot faster this week than it did last week, didn't it? Because we kind of like restarted the week on Wednesday after we had the Independence Day Tuesday off. It's like we just started on Wednesday as if it were a Monday, and now here we are arriving at the weekend again. So I'm in a good mood. I hope you are as well. We've got a lot of very important work to do today. We have some uh, some uh, disinformation slash misinformation, if you will, regarding the August 8th special election that we have to clear up today. We're going to do some of that. Um It is time. Voting starts on Tuesday, early voting at your local boards of election, and we need to match and, in fact, exceed the energy and the uh, turnout uh, and the the visible presence of the 
baby killers who support uh, the in- ballot initiative in November and thus want to defeat our initiative here in August uh, to raise the threshold to 60%. So the vote no campaign out there is huge. And they are everywhere, and they are pulling in some pretty radical people, um, and they're lying. Uh, there is an advertisement that's been running on television. You probably have seen it, a pair of scissors cutting up the Ohio Constitution, suggesting that voting for August 8th is what's cutting up the Constitution, and voting against the, the um, uh, issue on, on August 8th is the one that protects it. It could not be more upside down, backwards, whatever it is you want to call it. It is an absolute 100% lie. It is just strategic wording suggesting that a vote against the the issue on August 8th is the one that would protect the Constitution. It is exactly the opposite of that, and we have to clear it up. I was talking to some people that I trust yesterday, people who I actually for whom I actually have um, a great deal of respect for their intelligence. These are not people that are just like, huh? Uh, and they still didn't understand it. They saw that ad and they said, so we want to vote no on August 8th, right? And I said, no, you want to vote yes on August 8th. They are, they've been very successful in their, in their deception, in their, in their, uh, you know, their, their dishonesty, their duplicity, whatever it is you want to call it. They're confusing people into thinking that if you want to protect the Ohio Constitution, that you want to vote no on August 8th. It could not be more upside down. You need to vote yes. On August 8th. And you need to tell everybody you know to vote yes on August 8th. It is literally that simple. We have to raise the threshold to change the Constitution to 60% if we want to stop the Constitution from being shredded willy-nilly with only half of the counties in the in the state having a say in it, um, with out-of-state special interest groups reaching into Ohio to change the way we do things by amending our Constitution. It is simply uh, the, the, the inverse of what they are saying. We have to vote yes on August 8th. Make sure everybody knows. Get yard signs. Like, Did I mention early voting starts on Tuesday? That's four days from now. Early voting on Tuesday. Get signs in your yard. Yes on issue one. Get stickers on your vehicles, window clings, something, yes, on issue one. You have to vote yes on issue one if you want to protect the Ohio Constitution and if you want to stop the baby butchers from putting abortion up until the moment of birth into the Ohio Constitution. That would not be a simple legislative move where the the, the Ohio General Assembly passed abortion. No, 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 no. Because that could be then undone by another legislative uh, move. But if it's in the Constitution, it's going to be there to stay. And to get rid of it would take uh, moving mountains. We cannot allow them to enshrine abortion and removing parents' rights when their kids succumb to the left-wing pressures of transing themselves. Um, this is all on the table in the November ballot initiative, and they're going to be successful at it if they only need 50% of the vote plus one. We need to raise that threshold to 60% to stop radical changes to the Ohio Constitution, and that comes in August. And again, starting Tuesday, we're going to try to un, you know, unravel some of that for you the best we can this morning, try to explain it. But do not be confused. If you remember nothing else, remember that when it comes to the August special election, the one that starts on Tuesday with the early voting, vote yes. 
It just understand this. If you trust anything from me, trust me when I tell you to vote yes. Because there are a lot of confusing ads out there and confusing statements being made by the other side, trying to uh, hijack the movement and actually uh, enshrine some of these radical things into our Constitution. So so that's how we start our day. Um, we have a lot of news uh, for the top story. Um, what do you say we get to it right after we pledge allegiance to our flag and thus the republic that it represents? Please uh, stand, face your flag. If you have one, if you don't, uh, let's pretend and let's work on that and put your hand on your heart and join us if you want to destroy the Ohio Constitution because it means nothing more to you than the American Constitution does then you probably are a leftist Marxist Democrat and you have no interest in this flag anyway so you're exempted from the request to pledge allegiance to it you may instead take a knee over there next to that unemployed quarterback and pledge your allegiance to the target symbol in front of a case of Bud Light. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So we're going to dive back into um, Hunter Biden's mountain of cocaine for just a moment or two oh i'm sorry did i say that was hunter biden's cocaine you know we don't know i mean after all there could be multiple cokeheads that have access to the white house situation room and the sensitive areas where the president and the vice president get to go there might be other people i mean right i I mean let's be real here it's not fair to just pin all of the you know blame of the for this and to assume that the uh the cocaine belonged to the one known crackhead there could be multiple crackheads in the biden administration right if you're a coke addict i mean uh you probably run with other coke addicts don't you uh or hookers in hunter's case so uh, maybe it's unfair for me to say Hunter's Mountain of co- Cocaine. We don't know if it's Hunter's Mountain of Cocaine just yet, but we have a pretty good suspicion. And why? Because of the reality of the situation. The initial story from uh, the White House was that the cocaine found and identified as such by the fire department was in the library. Then... Corrine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary who's black and gay, did you, did you just make sure you know that she's, she's black and she's gay? I don't care, but they wanted us to know. You know they told us that, um, yes, the press secretary is black and gay, so make sure you identify her as such. The press secretary who's black and gay said that, no, no, this is in a very highly trafficked area where a lot of tour groups come from or come through and a lot of visitors. And, um, and you know, so that cocaine could have been left there by anybody. First of all, I need to say the notion that any visitor to the White House on a tour group would bring a bag of coke with them to one of the most secure buildings in the world, not just the country, not just in the capital, in the world, the White House, knowing that security is extraordinarily tight. The idea that a visitor to the White House would bring cocaine with them strains the imagination. It completely is divorced from reality and credibility. The idea that somebody would bring some cocaine in when they visited the White House and leave it behind is even more out of this world impossible 
because they know that a prison cell is waiting for them. You bring a bag of white powder to the to the to the White House when you're coming for a tour or when you're coming on a visit. You bring a bag of white powder, you are going to be destroyed. Whether it's anthrax, cocaine, or fentanyl, and Lord only knows what it could be a combination thereof, you're done. Who would risk bringing their bag of coke, a bag of white powder, to the White House on a visit? Answer, no one. Who would feel safe and secure bringing a bag of white powder to the White House? Answer, somebody who doesn't have to go through security. Answer, somebody who is part of the president's family or the very, very select inner circle that doesn't go through security protocols and doesn't go through visitor entrances. Answer, the crackhead son of the president. That's who would bring white powder into the White House. And now here's what we have. The Secret Service investigation of the cocaine has revealed now that the cocaine was not in the library or in an open area where a lot of visitors travel through. The White House is claiming the cocaine was found in a much more secure place near the Situation Room. Wait, what? Near the Situation Room? Well, who gets to go in the Situation Room? Obviously, visitors do, right? No. Only the highest levels of the Biden administration. The Cabinet. The Situation Room is where um, the President and his top advisors... Um, strategize on the most important decisions that need to be made. The Situation Room, for example, if you recall, they had on camera during the uh, raid of the uh, Islamabad compound where uh, Osama bin Laden was killed. And Obama and all of his team were there watching that event happen from the Situation Room. And it's not a place where visitors get to go. And so what we know is that this was not in a highly trafficked area. This was, by the way, trafficking area is another Another world with another meaning when you're talking about Hunter Biden, but it's it was in uh, it was in uh, a very secure place near the White House. This is what MSNBC. Kelly, said. the big changes where this was found, and it was found um, by my observation in a much more secure place, limited access place than that West Wing reception area. It's still a publicly trafficked, a frequently trafficked place, but it's down near the Situation Room, right off West Executive, down below. And normal people, just average people, just can't get in there, even with the entry from the Northwest Gate. Well, let me let me bring you up to date with the reporting that I have. What we have learned is that there are, in fact, two West Wing entrances. You know that, I know that, but for the benefit of our audience. And now the investigation has progressed, and so they're saying the West Executive entrance, which, as you noted, is closer to the Situation Room and closer uh, to... Uh, the Navy mess where there's the facilities for food and so forth. It is uh, also next to West Executive Drive. That's where, for example, the vice president's vehicle is parked. (sighs) Near where the vice president parks her vehicle and enters the West Wing. In other words, access not granted to visitors, tourists, people coming with groups, getting a tour of the White House. Family members, inner circle people. So, unless there is more than one coke addict slash crackhead in the president's family 
or the vice president's family, or in that inner circle, then the odds are pretty good the Koch belongs to the one known crackhead in that inner circle. And that, of course, would be Hunter Biden. But I'll take my word for it. Don't even take the hacks at MSNBC that you just heard from and their word for it. Of course, why would we ever take their word for anything anyway? But there is somebody whose word that I would trust on this matter, somebody who's got experience, somebody who has worked in the White House, somebody who knows where you can go and where you can't go. Somebody like, um, I don't know, Salem Radio's Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Dr. Gorka knows a little bit about this sort of thing. And he decided yesterday on his drive home to tell us about it. Yeah. All the rubbish that's been spewed about the dime bag, coke in the White House story. I worked in the White House. See that? Presidential service pin. That's what, what that means. Let's talk about what happened and what didn't happen. It wasn't found in a well-trafficked area. Listen to the audio recording of the hazmat team that had to use the Gemini chemical detection equipment to identify the white powder. They were in the library of the residence. I was a deputy to the president. I went there once after a private dinner with President Trump. You don't get to go in there whenever you want. Secondly, uh, if you're a certain category like I was, with a blue access, all access pass to the White House, or a member of the family, if you come into the White House in a vehicle, your vehicle isn't searched. You may have a canine EOD inspection, which is pretty random, but they don't even open up your vehicle. You can bring in anything. If you're a member of a press or a visitor, that's not the case. You go through multiple security checkpoints. So let's be clear. It's a member of the family or a very senior person working for the president. But I think we all know who it is, right? Come on. He's a crackhead. Dr. Gorka posted that video of himself as he was driving home from his show yesterday uh, on Instagram. Uh, If you don't follow Dr. G on Instagram or any of the other social media sites, you should, uh, because he just laid it out. And the best part, it doesn't matter to you. I'm just watching the video. You're only hearing the audio. But he's driving. He's got his uh, driving sunglasses on, and uh, he stopped and took them off to make that last point. He's a crackhead. Yes, he is all of that. And uh, the the cocaine mystery in the White House is a mystery only in the minds of the corporate media, the legacy mainstream left-wing corporate media, and uh, apologists for the scandal-ridden Biden administration. It is a mystery in no one else's mind. It is a mystery in no one else's eyes. It is not even a question we know who had the cocaine in the White House, the only person who possibly could. So I welcome your thoughts. Um, What should happen here? And what do you think the media is going to do about this? The answer is probably nothing. That little hesitating response or part of the story that you heard there from MSNBC, they don't want to have to report that. They don't want to have to talk about that. But the rest of the mainstream media is laughing about this, making jokes about it, saying it's no big deal. And I don't care if you call it whataboutism, but what if it was Donald Trump? What if it was one of the Trump boys? 
that was in the same scenario. So we're off and rolling. It's an open, uh, it's a open lines free for all Friday on AM 1420. The answer, I do have two great guests that are going to be coming, coming up one at 1010, one at 1110, but I welcome you. 216-901-0945. Join us on Always Right Radio. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 9.35 on this Friday, Free For All Friday, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Appreciate you being here. 216 Next big story I want to get into this morning is the left not taking a Supreme Court decision for an answer. They don't like the Supreme Court decisions, so therefore they're basically just saying they're invalid. We should be able to overturn them. We should be able to reverse them. We should be able to ignore them. Two of them, in actually all three of the most, uh, the, the most important ones of this session, of this term, because Biden immediately responded to the Supreme Court's decision to uh, that declared his um, student loan giveaway, his student loan uh, 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 forgiveness bill to be, or order, I should say, it wasn't a bill, to be unconstitutional. So he immediately came up with another plan to try to forgive student loans just for select individuals, um, which is just, again, it's basically saying, to hell with you, Supreme Court. I don't care what you say. We're going to do whatever we can to try to forgive these student loans. Which, of course, is nothing more than a vote-buying scheme, and that's what makes it so uh, egregious, quite frankly. But then the other two, um, which are arguably even bigger, one is a free speech case and one is a racial discrimination case. Let me bring you up to speed on those. The left still uh, reeling from the decision on uh, affirmative action, which means racial uh, using race as a determining factor in whether or not somebody gets admitted to an elite university. The affirmative action decision um, was so dispiriting to them first of all harvard has basically said we're not going to listen we're going to do what we want to do um quote you know we'll follow the supreme court's rule but we're going to find a way to use race to make our decisions so we can continue to to discriminate against white or asian students of which we have far too many on our campus we need that color we need that uh, virtue signaling diversity and equity but um what's even what, what i find fascinating here is that their argument and the reason for opposing the affirmative action ruling of the court just exploded in their face. This is a story from Town Hall. White liberals who voiced their dissatisfaction the loudest uh, were counting on black liberals and blacks uh, to support them and their point of view here. After all, that's who they're trying to save. That's who they're trying to rescue from all of the uh, systemic racism in the society. But what they found out is that black people disagree. It turns out there are a whole lot of black Americans who don't want to be judged by the color of their skin, but rather the content of their character, their intelligence, their talent, their merit. And a meritocracy, that's what black Americans want, too, or at least an extraordinarily uh, large amount of them. The court's most momentous decision this year, this is from uh, via the Washington Post, no less, quoted by Town Hall. The court's most momentous decision this year, severely restricting the use of affirmative action on college admissions, was arguably quite popular, but now arrives more data to bolster that point. What the data also suggests is even black Americans are unlikely to strongly object to this ruling. The data from an Economist YouGov poll 
conducted after the court's decision, shows Americans approve of it more than two to one. Twice as many Americans support this the, uh, uh, decision by the court than oppose it. That's a finding that's in line with other surveys conducted before the decision, including from the Washington Post and CBS News, which showed that more than 6 in 10 Americans supported the idea of banning the use of race or ethnicity in admissions at universities. Another poll conducted after the decision for ABC News showed Americans approved of it by a 20-point margin over those who disapproved. So it's not close. This isn't 51-49. This isn't 55-45. We're talking 20, 30 points difference. What's particularly striking about the Economist YouGov poll, though, is how black Americans responded. Black Americans would be the ones to benefit the most from the uh, um, race-considered affirmative action style of admissions processes. But according to this poll, more of them actually approved of the Supreme Court's decision banning using race, which is more than 4 in 10 of them, that's just over 40%, than disapproved, which was under 40%. Now, this one isn't a big, wide gap like the other one, but it's notable because African Americans, by a majority, oppose affirmative action when it comes to these admissions. In fact... More black Americans strongly approved 31% of the Supreme Court's decision than disapproved at all, 26%. That's a five-point difference between strongly approved, meaning we really support the court and we oppose the idea of using our skin color to decide whether we get in or not. Only 26 disapproved of that uh, message. This finding is also in line with previous polling. While polls have long shown black Americans in favor of affirmative action, the Washington Post Scar School poll uh, showed nearly half supported banning. That's 47% banned uh, the use of race and ethnicity admissions. Earlier this year, Pew asked people a battery of questions about affirmative action and efforts to increase diversity. While black Americans were more likely to view affirmative action as positive than negative, fewer than half of them saw it as mainly positive. 20% said it was negative. The remainder saw it as mixed or said it made no difference. And there was even less perceived upside at the personal level, asking more broadly about the efforts to increase racial and ethnic diversity rather than about specifically affirmative action. It inquired whether people felt they had been advantaged or disadvantaged by such policies, and only 20% of blacks said they felt such policies had put them at an advantage. Strikingly, significantly, 35% say they felt such policies put them at a disadvantage. So this is, um, this is enormous. In other words, the and quoting Town Hall again now, um, the affirmative action in admissions policy sucks. That's in town hall, which I love. And white progressives are going to have to grovel and ingratiate themselves with their non-white voting blocks in a less humiliating way than spewing nonsense about how this Supreme Court decision was racist and could lead to the end of women in higher education or a step toward a pre-antebellum America. Even black voters don't like affirmative action. Game, set, and match. So that's huge. Part B on this story, in, in reaction to what happened uh, with the court on affirmative action, comes from our own Senator J.D. Vance. Senator J.D. Vance yesterday 
essentially put left-wing schools that rely on affirmative action admissions policies on notice. This won't be happening. This is a Fox News story. J.D. Vance demanded that 10 colleges and universities preserve their communications after their expressed open hostility to the Supreme Court's recent affirmative action ruling. The, uh, the court did allow, while they outlawed affirmative action and just considering race for admission, they did say race can be a factor if the applicant has discussed how his or her race has impacted their life. And that's the, 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 the little uh, caveat that the left-wing institutions are grasping onto here. Following the decision, several presidents of, America, of some top American colleges, including the entirety of the Ivy League universities, announced their institution's commitments to diversity on campus in light of the ruling and their plan to use the experience caveat as a way of continuing their, their racial admissions policies. I wish to express concern about your institution's openly defiant and potentially unlawful reaction to the Supreme Court's landmark decision in Students for Fair Admissions, Inc. versus President and Fellows of Harvard College, which reaffirmed the bedrock constitutional principles of equity under the law and therefore forbade invidious race-based preferences in college admissions, end quote, part of the letter that J.D. Vance wrote to the college presidents yesterday. Quote, as you know, the court has instructed you to honor the spirit, not just the letter, of the ruling. Going forward, the court explained universities may not simply establish through application essays or other means the regime we hold unlawful today, end quote. And that is huge. By the way, J.D. Vance didn't just stick with the Ivy League universities. J.D. Vance is focusing some of his attention on Ohio universities. Not OU, but some universities in Ohio. Let me continue. Vance noted that within hours of the decision's pronouncement, the presidents and their institutions expressed open hostility to the decision and seemed to announce an intention to circumvent it. Statements along these lines are particularly disconcerting in light of recent revelations that proponents of unlawful affirmative action sometimes practice unstated affirmative action in which hiring and admissions decisions are made on the basis of race in a covert and unspoken way, even when the relevant decision-maker is placed under oath in a deposition. He included, did Senator J.D. Vance, statements from each of the presidents of the ten schools after the Supreme Court struck down race-based affirmative action. Quoting again Senator Vance's letter, Princeton President Christopher Eisgruber complained that the court's decision was unwelcome and disappointing and vowed to pursue diversity with energy, persistence, and a determination to succeed or yeah, to succeed despite the restrictions imposed by the Supreme Court in its regrettable decision today. He then targeted one of our favorites, Oberlin College President Twilly Ambar felt, quote, <clears throat> deeply saddened and concerned for the future of higher education when the Supreme Court's ruling was announced. She assured her students and faculty that, rather than dampening her enthusiasm for uh, affirmative action policies, the decision only strengthens our determination to be a welcoming place where diversity is celebrated. 
Harvard President Bakehouse uh, boasted that for, quote, almost a decade, Harvard has vigorously defended an admission system that the Supreme Court ruled unlawful and then reaffirmed the fundamental principle that deep and transformative teaching, learning, and research depend upon a community of compri- a community comprising people of many backgrounds, perspectives, and lived experiences. So J.D. Vance, in highlighting some of these statements by some of the university presidents as being a threat to ignore the Supreme Court's decision, J.D. Vance wrote this, My colleagues have assured me that they share my concern that colleges and universities, and particularly the elite institutions to whom this letter is addressed, do not respect the court's judgment and will covertly defy a landmark civil rights decision with which they disagree. He said he did not need to remind the university presidents, quote, of the ugly history of defiance and lawlessness that followed other landmark Supreme Court rulings demanding racial quality in education. He noted that Democratic Virginia Governor Thomas Stanley's response to the landmark Brown versus the Board of Education decision, quote, by pledging to show the rest of the country that racial integration is not going to be accepted in the South and by vowing to organize massive resistance in the southern states. Violence and racial animosity ensued, J.D. Vance warned. He's right, of course. And this is what the presidents of these universities are essentially advocating for. The same sort of quote-unquote passive, nonviolent resistance to the spirit of the Supreme Court's decision that will lead to something much more than passive, nonviolent resistance, but active and potentially violent uh, clashes and protests. Senator Vance said that the Senate, quote, is prepared to use its full investigative powers to uncover circumvention, covert or otherwise, of the Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action. He advised the school presidents to, quote, retain admissions documents in anticipation of future congressional investigations, including digital communications between admissions officers, any demographic or other data complied, compiled during future admission cycles, and any other relevant materials. As you are aware, he wrote, a number of federal criminal statutes regulate the destruction of records connected to federal investigations, some of which apply to the formal commencement of any inquiry. And the Ohio Republican peppered the university leaders with several questions, including the procedures the school will use to preserve their records and how the schools will ensure the new admissions practices do not simply establish the regime that the Supreme Court has held unlawful. So that's it. Um, I, I, I sent a message to Senator Vance this morning. I, we can't book him just on a moment's notice. Uh, but I sent him a text message congratulating him on a, such an important move. Uh, the, Elite Ivy League universities, as well as Oberlin College in Ohio and Kenyon College in Ohio, were targeted by this letter from Senator Vance because they and their uh, leadership and their their presidents had expressed uh, some semblance of intent to ignore the Supreme Court's decision that they would continue to go on pursuing diversity on their campuses by using race as a determining factor just by using the caveat of, quote, racial experiences, if not just racial existence. It's a big deal. So that's two. That's two. The left didn't like the, uh, the decision on 
student loan forgiveness. So Joe Biden is immediately going to another another route to try to forgive student loans, despite the Constitution. He doesn't care about what the Constitution says, and the court made that very, very clear. Now we've got this one. They're going to ignore the uh, affirmative action. And the final one is about free speech. And guess what? They're trying to overturn the Supreme Court's decision on the free speech case of 303 Creative in Colorado by claiming that there was no standing for the lawsuit that made its way up through the court system to the Supreme Court. I'll share that one with you coming up as well. You can also interrupt me at any time at 216-901-0945, right here on Always Right Radio. Okay, 955. Uh, I want to squeeze this one in before the top of the hour. This is a big deal. The third of the three, or one of the three, I'll put it that way, but the third in the order that we're discussing them of the Supreme Court decisions at the end of last week um, that are being completely ignored or challenged by the left because they didn't like the outcome of the decisions is the free speech case involving 303 Creative in Colorado. Lawyers representing the website designer Lori Smith, whose free expression case triumphed at the Supreme Court on uh, Friday last week, are pushing back now on reporting from left-wing news outlets insinuating that uh, they fabricated a request to create a same-sex wedding website just to be able to have this lawsuit. Um, and therefore, they don't have standing, and the court should be able to have their decision reversed. Wait, what? Yeah. Uh, quoting from the National Review, the court ruled 6-3 to three in favor of Lori Smith that Colorado's broad public accommodations law, which includes protections for sexual orientation, would unconstitutionally compel her to create speech that violates her religious convictions. The New Republic reported this week that two men named in a court filing by Smith's counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom had no idea they were mentioned in the filing and never asked Smith to create a website for them. But according to the filing, someone who identified themselves as Stewart contacted Lori Smith on September 21st of 2016, asking for her help with his wedding to a Mike early next year. The inquiry said the couple would be interested in some design work for our invites, place names, and potentially even a website. Stewart concluded his contact information, uh, included his contact information on the request. Lori Smith at 303 Creative received that inquiry in September, one day after filing a preemptive lawsuit challenging the accommodation clause of the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act. Now, Kristen Wagoner, whom we've had on this program a number of times, CEO and general counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom, said during a press call that the request sent through the form on Smith's website was made by someone posing as Stewart. It is indisputed, however, that the request was received whether it was from a third party or a troll. Wagoner added that the allegation that the ADF invented this Stewart and his request is reprehensible and disgusting. Smith and ADF were prevented from running a background check on Stewart to verify the authenticity of their request because it could have put them in conflict with existing law. But on its face, the request looked legitimate, and they could not investigate any further. Therefore, ADF, in an appellate brief at the Tenth Circuit Court, ADF noted that neither of the names Mike or Stewart likely belonged to a woman, indicating that this was a same-sex wedding website request. 
Citing Social Security Administration data, only a nanoscopic number of women have ever been named Stuart or Mike since 1880, according to ADS research. Therefore, in their, uh, they included the request in its filing, assuming it was sent by a same-sex couple, therefore legitimizing this lawsuit that led to the Supreme Court decision. Smith, uh, um, ADF argued that their client faced a credible threat a credible threat of of losing her free speech rights under Colorado's anti-discrimination law by forcing her to create this website for a same-sex wedding. Therefore, the existence of the request or ADF's use in it or of it in its reasoning was largely irrelevant to the legal analysis the courts performed, said Kristen Wagoner. A request isn't even needed for the court to address this issue. People don't have to wait for the court to punish them. And that's why the Supreme Court never mentioned or relied on the request uh, when they made their ruling. So this desperate nothing burger of an attempt to get the Supreme Court decision reversed is going nowhere, says Alliance Defending Freedom, despite the left's refusal to take no for an answer from the Supreme Court. So there you have it, all three of them being challenged by the left, all three of them are going to stand those court decisions, and they're going to have to learn how to live with it. That is what happens in a functioning republic like ours. And we'll be back after the news. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway. Good Friday morning to you. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. So it's coming up quickly. Early voting begins on Tuesday. Uh, that's four days from now. By the way, seventh morning, seventh month, year of our Lord, 2023. The official special election date is August 8th. Early voting is on Tuesday. This is when we get to decide whether or not we want to allow our constitu- constitution to be changed, to be amended willy-nilly uh, with a very, very small majority, 50% plus one, um, with only 44% of counties, or excuse me, 44 of the 88 counties, I beg your pardon, having to be represented by signature uh, minimums, uh, and special interest groups outside the state being able to control what happens in the state of Ohio. That's what's at stake with Issue 1 on August 8th. Bigger picture, if we are able to raise the threshold from 50% plus 1 to 60% by voting yes, on August 8th, bigger picture, it'll be that much more difficult for radical pro-death uh, leftists to change the Ohio Constitution in November when they have their ballot initiative uh, decided upon by the voters. The ballot initiative that would indeed enshrine abortion into the Ohio Constitution up until the moment of birth and by virtue of the language in their initiative about reproductive rights, it would allow minors to begin and or complete transition procedures and even surgeries without their parental input. That's how dangerous this entire thing is. That's why we have been telling you for weeks now about how important it is to vote yes to raise the threshold on August 8th and no on the ballot initiative in November to amend the Ohio Constitution. 
Well, joining me now to talk about this as the signature collecting deadline has been reached, uh, they have gathered over some 700,000 signatures uh, thus far for the November election, the November ballot initiative. They need 400,000 plus. Joining me now to discuss is Dr. Michael Parker. He's uh, been an OBGYN in the central Ohio area for nearly 30 years. He is the immediate past president of the Catholic Medical Association. He's active in a number of pro-life causes, and he's a member of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, AAPLOG. He and his wife, Teresa, have six children. Uh, Dr. Parker, it's good to have you on the program. How are you this morning? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. As you said, I'm a, a board-certified board uh, OBGYN in the Central Ohio area. I've been practicing for nearly 30 years, having done over 6,000 deliveries and having tens of thousands encountered with women's uh, over those 30 years. Uh, uh, so uh, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Well, and I can see that uh, it has been a big part of your career, uh, not just providing mm-hmm. the services you do for women, but obviously being active in pro-life causes. So let's talk first about um, how this thing is going to get on the uh, on the ballot in November. They needed to collect 400 and some odd thousand signatures. They got almost double that, some 700,000 to account for uh, errors and, uh, and, and uh, uh, illegal signatures. There is a lot of evidence out there, Dr. Parker, that I have seen that indicates that there may be more than half of those that are illegal signatures because they weren't telling people the truth about what they were signing when they, when they put out these, uh, these petitions. What, what is your view of the signatures collected and the validity thereof? Well, they say they have 700,000 signatures, and we have to to believe them at their face value. Uh, But what we know is that the organizations that are in favor of this amendment actually had to bring people in from out of state and paid them to collect signatures. And in that signature process, they misled many Ohio voters in what they were telling them about what this amendment said, uh, in that uh, currently they, they misled them about the current Ohio law that, that, that stated basically women were not going to be able to receive care for miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy, which is a flat-out lie. Um, they also misled, misled voters on, on you know the language of the initiative, uh, about parental rights and the, really the, the radical nature of this bill. So we have to go through the process of the state validating the signatures and going through the process, and then there'll be a, a process of them being able to cure those signatures. But I agree with you. There are a lot of irregularities that have been witnessed and uh, presented uh, that show that there was some deception in, in getting some of these um, signatures. Yeah, there there is a lot of evidence, Dr. Parker. I'm going to play just a 19-second clip of a <clears throat> video clip of a, a tweet that was shared uh, as an example. This is obviously anecdotal, but it's an example of some of the things they can do and have been doing, and that is gathering signatures illegally. Let's she, just say that. she did say she wasn't registered to vote in Ohio. In the state of Ohio, right? Gotcha. So when these get notarized... Uh-huh. Her signature gets disqualified and doesn't count. Gotcha. But from a manager point of view, the signature counts for me as a signature for today. That's how we get paid. So for those who couldn't hear that clearly, and I know you've seen this, Dr. Parker, uh, this is a paid signature collector admitting that he just got somebody who said, I'm not a registered voter. I'm not eligible to vote in the state of Ohio. He said, sign it anyway, because he gets paid for those signatures that he collects. And then he said, the notarization, his words, it'll be notarized. Uh, and they'll discover that she's not a valid uh, uh, a voter, and that will be stricken later on. 
that is an impossible thing for me to understand. The idea that uh, we're going to be able to uh, we're going to be able to to verify every single one of those signatures and the uh, uh, the verification should happen after the signature rather than before it. Right, and in in this case, you can clearly see the deception that's going on, and the incentive was there for the signatures collectors because they're being paid either per signature or per page. Mm-hmm. They're being paid in some way to get those signatures, and so their incentive is to just just get any signature that they can that's going to uh, be on that uh, that list. And what's going to happen, they have to be a registered voter at the time they signed. So how are we going to be able to go back and validate if that person then registered later uh, to vote? But um, so that's going to be difficult for the for the state to prove. But this is it's 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 really presenting. They've notarized it. They're presenting what they know to be deceptive information to the state regarding these signatures um, at the time they present them. So they're 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 willingly deceiving the state uh, by presenting these signatures. Doctor, we're talking to Dr. Michael Parker. He's an OBGYN in Central Ohio for 30 years. He has been uh, providing uh, OBGYN care for women, and he is also a pro-life activist. He was the president of the Catholic Medical Association, among other things. So, so Dr. Parker, given the the signature questions, if you will, the questionable validity of the signatures, and the fact that they only need to come from 44 uh, 44 out of the 88 counties in Ohio, how important is it in your mind, and put it in your words, that we pass this um, uh, this measure on August 8th to require 60% and all 88 counties? If we're going to amend the Ohio Constitution, it ought to have broad support from all of Ohio, not just half of Ohio counties, right? I, I would agree. I have always looked at when amending the Constitution as wanting to overcome a grave injustice against a group of individuals or people or for the whole nation. Uh, when we when you think about amending the Constitution, most people think about the national Constitution, and we think about why has that been amended in the past? Well, it's been amended to overcome grave injustices, such as slavery the right to vote, the women's right to vote, um, you know, repealing prohibition, uh, people's freedoms that were that were at stake. In Ohio, it's very easy to change the Constitution, and we've seen that in the past with uh, outside organizations coming in and getting casinos uh, within the state of Ohio. Uh, and this is these are not grave injustices these are you know things that uh uh have people's interests in mind for a particular uh corporation or 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 group uh but not necessarily for the whole of ohio and when you think about changing our constitution which is our guiding document that that gives us the direction that we want to go to as a state you would think it should be difficult to change. We should have more than just 50% plus one person to change the Constitution. It should be 60% or more. Ohio is one of the easiest states to amend the Constitution through a ballot initiative. I think we're only second to California. There are 18 states that have similar type of processes as Ohio, but we're one of the easiest to do that. And so I think with all uh, constitutional measures, in, including the one we're about to face with the abortion issue, it should be difficult to change our Constitution and assure that the vast majority of Ohioans favor this change, not just 50% plus one. Dr. Parker, I want to take advantage of your medical experience uh, while I have you here, particularly in this field, <clears throat> because um, 
You mentioned ectopic pregnancies. A lot of people have talked about ectopic pregnancies and tubal pregnancies, and that's when the fertilized egg doesn't make it all the way to the uterus and begins to grow inside of the fallopian tube. Um, the, the left says that's why this is necessary, so that women can have abortions. How, uh, how rare are ectopic and tubal pregnancies, number one? And number two, is that enough for the signature gatherers to be able to say this is about women's health? If we don't pass this, if we don't pass this initiative and get it on the ballot and pass it, women are going to die from these uh, from these uh, uh, pregnancies or these complications involving their pregnancies. And this is the only way to stop it is to allow unchecked abortion until the moment of birth. Can you speak to that as a physician? Sure. That's a great question, Bob. And ectopic pregnancies happen in about 2% of all pregnancies. So it's not a very common procedure, but it is one of the most common life-threatening procedures that we see in women. And this is entirely different than an elective abortion. And we have to remember an elective abortion it purposely ends the life of an unborn child. An ectopic pregnancy is a life-threatening condition that is actually protected in the current state uh, abortion statutes um, as a separate entity that uh, can be taken care of. And it does require removing an embryo to save the mother's life so that both lives are not lost. This is a life-saving treatment, is not presented by any current law restricting or banning abortion. And the other side is is using this to scare women into either signing the petition or voting for this amendment. Uh, But what it's actually doing is it's preventing women from seeking care for their ectopic pregnancies because or miscarriages because they feel that they're not going to be able to get that care. And so they're actually putting women at greater risk by putting out these falsehoods. Is enough being done publicly to make people aware of this? Because, again, I'm looking at some of the people signing the, or gathering the petitions, uh, signatures on their petitions, and they're just saying this is to protect women's health. Do you support women's health? And we need you to sign here because there's a very important ballot initiative to protect women's health when it comes to pregnancy. And they're just very general in their statements about this, and they'll throw words like ectopic pregnancies out there. I feel like... And in fact, I know not enough is being done because I have not heard medical professionals like you talking about it. I feel like the side that uh, that we are on here uh, to stop this thing in November needs to needs to get up front and, and, and be out there and, and in front of this thing to tell people exactly what the realities are when it comes to women's health and, uh, and ectopic pregnancies. Bob, I think you're absolutely right, and I think you're going to see a more concerted effort as we move forward in the process. Uh, We have formed an organization called Do No Harm Ohio, and doctors and healthcare professionals and healthcare workers can go to our website at donoharmohio.com, and they can sign our petition uh, against this abortion amendment. Uh, They can uh, also help to support our campaign to fight against this amendment at donoharmohio.com. The group that is actually supporting this is actually a very small group of partisan extremists that represent a fraction of medical and health care providers. So there's a large number of health care providers whose voices are not being heard. Some of it is not being allowed to be heard, either through uh, op-eds that are sent into the mainstream media and not being published, or uh, not being aired on uh, uh, public uh, news or radio. Uh, so your your show is a great opportunity to get this message out. And, and to, to build on that, if I may, um, 
just talking about your your experience as a physician, and I know as an OBGYN, you're not necessarily fluent with the idea of of um, you know transitioning and surgeries, experimental in my view of trans. But can you speak to the language in the bill that or the uh, ballot initiative uh, that talks about? reproductive care and anything that impacts reproductive care that they essentially want you to think they're just talking about abortion and pregnancy but right. when you take a, a minor and and begin them on uh, you know puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and much less go into surgical procedures you are literally making them infertile so thus we are talking about reproductive care and this would remove parental consent from uh, these life-altering decisions that are being made by young people. Now, that's how guys like me, I'm a non-medical professional, explain this to people. I want to hear it in, for, from a medical professional. Can you tell us what that means? Well, this bill or this amendment was intentionally written with uh, vague and empathetic language that's been uh, focus group tested to come across as being very uh, supportive of women's health care. However, the bill never mentions the, the word women. It says every individual has a right to carry out one's own reproductive uh, health care decisions, um, including contraception, fertility treatments, and so on and so forth. All one has to do is Google trans care is reproductive care. And so when they say including but not limited to, what are they leaving out? What are they, what are they not putting in here that they don't want you to know? Well, we feel that includes uh, transitioning care uh, for um, children, uh, and uh, that's going to result in life-altering decisions like uh, puberty blockers, sterilization, or sex changes, but also abortion. And you're right, it's going to occur without parental consent because the the, the, the state laws that are currently in place uh, will be nullified by this amendment. And one of those laws is parental notification uh, before a minor receives care uh, for an abortion. And so... Uh, this language, and, and, is if I may, Doctor Parker, it, it is very vague intentionally. You're right. And just to clarify, um, what you said at the very beginning of that, it says all individuals. It doesn't say adults. Right. It doesn't say individuals over 18. All individuals have a right to these uh, to this care, reproductive care. And I, I'm taking that to mean that the individual gets to decide no matter what their age is. They don't list an age restriction here, which means minors can do this without without parental consent, right? That's absolutely correct. They they do put individual. They do not put an age statement in there. And so we believe that opens it up to minors uh, receiving abortion services, also transitioning services uh, uh, such as puberty blockers, sterilizations, or sex changes. And the other uh, really concerning matter about this is it can be assisted by anybody. So uh, the school counselors or the teachers who uh, do not want to notify parents uh, about their the, their students transitioning or thoughts of being uh, transgender uh, can continue to be hidden by these teachers, and there's no recourse to those teachers at all. They can take them down and have uh, give them the abortion pills, or they can take them to a doctor and start them on puberty blockers or transitioning care, uh, and there's no recourse to that person who assists them in that act. 
Dr. Michael Parker giving us the medical information and the realities of what that ballot initiative in November would do. It starts, of course, in August. Make it harder for them to pass this pro-death ballot initiative. And I'm sorry, the opposite of pro-life is not pro-choice. The opposite of life is death. So it's a pro-death ballot initiative in November in order to make it harder for them to pass that and enshrine these terrible things in the Ohio Constitution. Let's make sure that we pass in August, on August 8th, uh, voting starts, early voting starts on Tuesday, issue one, raising that threshold for constitutional amendments to 60%. Yes, in August, no in November. Dr. Michael Parker, terrific information. Thank you so much for bringing the facts to this discussion. I appreciate that, and hopefully we'll talk again as we continue this fight through November. Thanks for having me on, Bob. And remember, do no harm Ohio.com. Thank you very much for that reminder as well. That's Dr. Michael Parker. We'll take a time out now. We're going to talk with Ohio State Representative Brian Stewart. He's coming up next on AM 1420 The Answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer. So this is 1036. Thanks for being with us on this Friday. And thanks again to Dr. Michael Parker for telling the truth about what uh, this ballot initiative in November does and why it's so important for us to defeat it. And in that effort to pass uh, the special election issue number one on uh, on, on Tuesday, uh, August 8th, uh, early voting actually begins this coming Tuesday, July 11th. So, so this is an interesting development. Cleveland.com. Uh, has actually done a decent job here of exposing um, a, a bit of, I don't know, I might call it voter intimidation tactics. It's a campaign, the one that's working to defeat Issue 1, um, using voter shaming and maybe voter intimidation. Uh, political scientists have found this is Cleveland.com, uh, can boost turnout but also be off-putting to those who receive them. And here's why. One person, one vote, that's the group that is leading the fight against Issue 1. They're the ones who want radical abortion and transing procedures to be uh, legal without any parental input or consent whatsoever in November. One person, one vote is sending out mailers to people with information about voting in the August 8th elections. And uh, on one side of the mailer, it just talks about the dates and times. And the other side of the mailer, quote, whom you vote for is private, but whether or not you vote is a matter of public record. We will be reviewing public records following the election to determine whether or not you joined your neighbors in voting, end quote. And apparently they can allow uh, send out other mailers and let your neighbors know who voted and who did not. Um, it is an intimidation tactic. There's nothing more, nothing less. They don't even, they don't even dispute it. One of the spokespersons quoted in the article for one person, one vote says, um, publicizing Ohio's, no, I'm sorry. Uh, we aren't going to comment on the details of our paid communications, but what the mailer says is true. Whom you vote for is private, but whether or not you vote is public information that anyone can see, including, uh, they say, Frank LaRose and the special interests who put this special election on August 8th in an attempt to decrease voter turnout as much as possible. Responding to that was State Representative Brian Stewart. But rather than read his response, I'm going to ask him to tell us directly a little bit more about this. Representative Stewart, it's good to have you back on our program. How are you this morning? 
It's great to be with you, Bob, as always. I saw this in a commercial break. Uh, after an interview I did in the first hour of this broadcast, I saw this link on Cleveland.com, and I was like blown away by the intimidation-style tactic that they're using here, trying to shame voters into voting and uh, knowing that they're, you know, yeah, it doesn't say what you voted for, but it does, uh, it does state whether or not you voted, which could lead to some perhaps uncomfortable situations between neighbors, community members, and friends. Tell me your response and reaction to this mailer. Bob, it's creepy. It's just downright creepy. Um, you know, this is this, this belies, uh, it betrays the worry that I think they have on the no on issues. I, they can't win this argument on the merits, so they're going to try to win it on intimidation tactics. And so, you know, I think most groups have good sense not to kind of devolve into, um, you know, intrusive stunts and tactics like this. And, and, and another reason why I think this is concerning, Bob, is that, you know, most of the opposition to issue one is being driven by some very organized left-wing groups. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is the teachers' unions. It is the public sector unions. It is some of the most politically active on the left uh, unions, like AFL-CIO and SEIU. And so what what the No on Issue 1 campaign is doing explicitly is saying, we know who you are, (laughs) we know where you live, and we know if you didn't vote in the election. And so, you know, I, I think the message to some of their own members is clear that, you know, if we find out you didn't vote, um, you know, we're going to let your neighbors, your quote-unquote neighbors know. Uh, but there's other folks that can alert to that as well. And I think that that is uh, concerning. Yeah, I do too. Um, you know, when I call it kind of an intimidation tactic, it doesn't say you should vote one way or the other, but I think they're making it clear who is sending this out. And therefore we're saying, you know, quite frankly, Representative Stewart, by, by not saying that you, your, 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 uh, vote, the decision on the way you went on an issue will not be reported to your neighbors, but that your vote, whether or not you did vote, will be. But by leaving that out, it kind of can leave it open to interpretation as to somebody who receives such a mailer thinking, my neighbors are going to find out how I voted. I better vote the way that this, uh, uh, you know, this organization that sent this to me wants me to. That's, that's concerning to me that my neighbors might find out whether or not I voted and how I voted in a certain election. Right, and, and, and to my point, take, take it one step further. You know, they, they can say neighbor, but the reality is, you know, if, if, you're in, if you're a public school teacher in Cleveland and, you know, you know, it, it's no great mystery that the teachers' unions are all in against issue one, right? And so, you know, if that union finds out that one of its members, you know, didn't vote on issue one, you know, I, I think the, the implication is pretty clear that uh, there's going to be some pressure applied there on their own members. Um, yeah. You know, certainly I wouldn't want my neighbors to know, but uh, certainly I think people could be could be concerned about, you know, their voting history being published to their neighbors. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of other groups that this could be published and utilized by, and I think that's the, that's, that's the unspoken, <laughs> uh, what they mean by neighbors. Yeah, yeah, and we, we don't necessarily, necessarily mean just the people who live on your street. We, we're talking sure. about the people that you associate with in your neighborhoods, in your communities, at your work, those kind of things, and that is what this is all about. Um, according to the article, a study done in 2008 uh, by Yale and Northern Iowa Universities found that 8.1% 8 
uh, a boost in turnout of 8.1% from those who got such mailers saying you are being studied, you are being watched as to whether or not you vote. Um, there's a boost in turnout by 8.1%, which, of course, is their goal. And again, while the mailers do not say when you vote, vote this way, people know where these are coming from. And as you say, when there is social pressure being put on people to vote a certain way, um, this, this can be the difference between victory or, or, or failure in a, or, you know, victory or losing in a, in a particular election. Exactly, Bob. And I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it's just a creepy way to campaign. You know, I, I, I know that uh, this has been attempted by, you know, the article mentions some other instances where this has happened, but, uh, you know, it's just not something I think is, is appropriate. I don't think it's, um, you know, we should be having this let's, argument on merits. Yeah, and let, let's combine the pressure campaign here with what we're seeing on television. My wife and my daughter and I were watching uh, a program last night, and one of those uh, Vote No on, on Issue 2 or Issue 1 ads came on, and it was the one where they have the scissors cutting the Constitution, and it's a direct lie. It's exactly the inverse of reality here. They're saying that a Vote for Issue 1 on August 8th shreds the Constitution, when it's the exact opposite. A Vote for Issue 1 actually protects the Constitution from being amended willy-nilly uh, and, and pushed by outside special interest groups. But as we watched that, my wife said to me, how come I haven't seen any yes on issue one ads? And I said, you know, that's a heck of a good question. So, Representative Stewart, we've got these mailers going out saying, vote, and you're being watched, just so you know. People in your community will know if you voted or not, because we can publish that. And they add that to the, here's the really heavy television and radio presence of vote no on issue one, and that can really, really swing things here. That's why this intimidation thing is so, um, is so crucial, I think. Yeah, I, I tell people. I mean, the the campaign is in the works and it's, it's rolling. You know, we're not we're not going to give away the whole the whole strategy here, but I'll just point out. Um, you know, run ads uh, over the Fourth of July weekend <laughs> before anybody can vote is you know not exactly the the wisest use of your money. Um, you know, we're going to have several weeks to vote here, and I think you know both sides are trying to turn out um, you know voters who are inclined to support their position. Um, now, look, I hope. I hope a lot of Republicans start voting next week. Um, we need to do that, Bob. I mean, we need to we need to get votes uh, banked, just like <laughs> the left is attempting to do. Uh, but that's why they're running ads over the July. They they believe that their folks are gonna are gonna vote more uh, early uh, as opposed to on election day. And um, you know, there, there's gonna be there's a robust campaign. We are working every day. Uh, we're taking it to the grassroots. We're doing mail. We're doing everything. But uh, you know, these ads are frankly, exactly what issue one is designed to, to stop. This is, this is out-of-state money uh, funding, you know, a radical left-wing agenda uh, using misinformation to do it. And that's the status quo that the uh, no-on-issue-one people want to preserve. They want to be able to continue to use out-of-state left-wing money from Hollywood to buy left-wing policy in Ohio. And issue one a yes vote on issue one is how we stop them. We're talking to State Representative Brian uh, Stewart. Um, I um, 
I'm not a political scientist, so I'm not trying to tell anybody how to do their jobs or how to strategize. But what you just said is crucially important. We want people to vote early. You know, August 8th comes around, it comes and it goes. Uh, you know, school starts about a week or two after that in many places. A lot of uh, families are taking vacation that week. Um, we cannot take a chance on counting on August 8th being our, our savior here. We've got to get out and vote early, which is why I'm a little disappointed. Again, not trying to be too critical of campaign strategies, but I'm a little disappointed that we have not seen more television ads to counter uh, the vote no on issue one ads that we are seeing all over the place so that we do vote on Tuesday, July 11th. I, I need to see those ads in early July if I'm going to know what to do as early as the, the polls opening for early voting at the board, boards of elections on july 11th so i I don't know am i wrong am i wrong to be concerned well i I don't think i the campaign is going well i would just say um you know tv is coming but you know i I think bob too there's the the way we campaign is changing you know i mean i don't see any tv ads you know uh you know my kids watch streaming um i think a lot of people have cut the cord i mean the the bang for your buck on some of these things is questionable but I'll, i'll point this out bob we have seen the left out and <laughs> the right on these types of campaigns all across the country. Yeah. Um, the reality is they've got more money than we do. And so um, the money that they're spending to be on TV in early July uh, is not from Ohio, and they've got a lot of it. And so, you know, we're doing everything we can to keep up, but, you know, people that fund our campaigns are hardworking, you know, business people in Ohio and hardworking families and, uh, you, you know, uh, we don't have, you know, George Soros and uh, Mike Bloomberg and you know, some of these others to help fund our efforts. So um, we're going to, you know, we are taking this message to to Ohio voters, and uh, we're being we're very encouraged by by the response we're getting. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, Bob, every poll that's been done on this shows us ahead, and we're not resting on any laurels here. But when people hear the actual facts about issue one, they support our side, and that's what we're going to make sure that people. Here between now and August 8th. I see, and that's exactly my point. Uh, I think you're right. When we get the facts out there, people will do the right thing and vote for this initiative, or excuse me, for this uh, special issue, uh, special election issue uh, on August 8th or before. But I don't know if we're getting the message out there enough. And I'm glad to hear you say we're winning on that. But uh, but I do see too many of the TV ads, uh, and, and that's the reason I'm concerned. I'm also, it, it may be algorithmic, um, but my Twitter feed is bombarded with these left-wing um, uh, vote no on issue one uh, ads and and statements and campaign you know uh, information so I'm just seeing a very robust effort on their part to defeat this and while I know there are a ton of people working very very hard uh, to to support this and to pass issue one um, like I said I just I, I I don't know that I am seeing the exact same amount of um, uh, of visibility, I guess, for the yes on one campaign that I am no, and I hope I'm wrong. I really, really do. Maybe it's like I said. Maybe I'm just I'm respond because every time I see one of those vote no's, I respond <laughs> right. with a vote yes and then right. say something right. snarky to them. Um, so maybe that's it. Maybe I'm just seeing more of it. But uh, but you feel pretty confident then, as we sit here now, four days away from early voting. I, I do, Bob. And I mean, look, we uh, yeah, don't look at my Twitter mentions either. I mean, you know, the left is all in on this. Okay, and and they are frankly more active on Twitter than than our side is. That's just been the case for a very long time. But like I remind people, Twitter is not real life. You know, if Twitter was real life, you know, Bernie Bernie Sanders would be the Democratic nominee, and, and, 
and a whole host of other examples. You know, we, uh, we're seeing a great response where it counts, right? At the doors, in person, you know, at our, at our local events. Um, but this is a fight, Bob. And, you know, people should not, uh, uh, be deluded. You know, money, you know, ask yourself, I hope your listeners ask themselves, why is the left all in to this degree on this issue? Because we, because we know that their plan is to use our Constitution to achieve things that they could not get through the legislature, that they could not get through the normal democratic process. And so it's important that we have this debate in August and decide, do you want to continue to have a status quo that lets, you know, coastal billionaires buy policy in Ohio? Or do you want to safeguard our Constitution with a 60% vote margin in much the same way that our federal Constitution has been protected since the founding? Yeah, and uh, you know what's interesting? I uh, I pointed this out a little bit earlier, uh, and I'm sure you've talked about it as well. The the Democrats, which are the the drivers of this vote no campaign, uh, that uh, say that that it will it will destroy the people's control of the Constitution if we raise the threshold to sixty percent from the fifty percent plus one. They are driven by their own constitution, their own bylaws that say to amend the Democrat Party bylaws in the state of Ohio, it requires not a 50% plus one majority. It requires a 60% majority. The hypocrisy there, Representative Stewart, is just so thick and cut with a knife. It, it's incredible. And, you know, the way I've phrased it is it's, it's almost as if these groups understand that a constitution, your governing document, should be comprised of the broad principles that unite us and not the fringe ideas that divide us. You know, the AFL-CIO requires 50%. The SEIU requires 60%. The League of Democrat Women Voters requires, uh, the National Dem- uh, Organization requires over 60%. One of the leading teachers unions in the state requires 70%. All of these opponent organizations require a supermajority to amend their own constitution because they understand the governing document should not be changed willy-nilly. It shouldn't be amended 172 times in counting, like the Ohio Constitution. And uh, they're opposing issue one based purely off of politics. Uh, Representative Brian Stewart is my guest. Last thing for you, Representative, this one goes to November now. I just had a Dr. Michael Parker on who's uh, uh, representing a couple of organizations that are trying to defeat the initiative in November. We talked about signatures. They turned them in this week. They had 700,000. They need 413,000. But there's tons of evidence of out-of-state petition gatherers being paid to come in here and say whatever it takes to get a, a signature on a line because they're paid by the signature or by the page of signature. Signatures, and whether they're valid or not, whether the voters or the signers, I should say, are registered voters or not, does not matter. They are collecting them. What is your faith or level of faith um, in the validity of four hundred thirteen thousand signatures for November? Well, Bob, I've always just assumed that they will they will spend what it takes to get on the ballot, and unfortunately, under the current constitutional system we have, uh, they've got a lot of bites at the apple and a lot of ways to get that done. You know, one of the things that issue one would do is say that if you don't turn in the required number of signatures by the deadline, you're done. But today, even if the, you know, abortion amendment folks fail to turn in enough signatures, Ohio law currently gives them bonus time. They get another bite at the apple. They'll get another. So even if it comes out that, yep, they didn't turn in enough signatures, 
it, it, it may not matter because they'll simply turn on the money faucet from out of state, rev up their signature gathering effort again, and make up the difference in the cure period, quote-unquote, that we currently have in our Constitution. Issue one, again, would rein this in and say that no. Get it right the first time, follow the law the first time, or you're out. Uh, Representative Brian Stewart is our guest. Uh, Representative Stewart, it was short notice that I called on you after I saw this creepy mailer, as you call it, and I think that's a pretty good description of it, that is sent out telling voters that you are being watched, you are being studied, and it may be reported to the people in your community whether or not you voted. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very bizarre way that they are trying to try to push this thing through. So I appreciate you coming on to, co- uh, to uh, comment on it. Thank you for your dedication and your support to Issue 1 and, of course, in uh, helping us to defeat the radical position that they have in november we appreciate that very much anytime bob thanks so much for what you do thank you so much for answering the call that's representative brian stewart i literally saw this thing during a commercial break i saw he was quoted in it and i sent him a quick message can you talk on this publicly and there he was so uh it's important to note these things coming up after the top of the hour um we've got another conversation that has to be held we're going to be talking about taking the rainbow back. Now that we are in July and Pride Month, otherwise known as the month of groom, is gone. And their uh, theft of the rainbow symbol for their radical and bizarre movement. Uh, We're going to try to take it back. There's an organization that is uh, dedicated to doing just that. We're going to be talking with one of the leaders of that organization, Rabbi Schneider. That'll be next. Always Right Radio on AM 1420 The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. We continue now into our number three of Always Right Radio. It is a Friday. It is the seventh morning of the seventh month, year of our Lord, 2023, 10 minutes past the hour of 11 o'clock. And I want to remind you again to support our sponsors. Without them, we would not have our number three. Specifically, our hour number three name sponsors, The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. It's my pair of kings. Like I said, I'll go to any poker table with a pair of kings in the hole. That's a, that's a winner every time. Mark King runs Keeping Medicare Simple, and Karam uh, runs The Floor King. They are the best. Thank you. Support our sponsors. Support all of our sponsors on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, we wouldn't bring them to you if they weren't great people with great products and great services. That's what I do. I match great companies and great uh, services and great products with great people and consumers like you. So make sure you support them. 
So we told you now, uh, and I'm glad that it's the seventh month, because that means the sixth month, the uh, month of groom, is now over. And as I told you, though, when we flipped the calendar from groom 30th to July 1st, uh, that it didn't mean that the agenda was ended. Obviously, it is uh, here for the long haul. The LGBTQ agenda. Notice I'm not calling it the gay agenda because this isn't about gays. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of very, very strong, um, passionate people in the gay community who are directly opposed to this massive LGBTQ transing of America. Uh, Gays Against Groomers is an organization that has come out saying, leave children alone. Quit trying to co-opt them and try to um, indoctrinate them into being something that they're not from their earliest ability to understand things. We are adults. We can choose what we do. Kids need to be left out of it. And I salute that and I support that. This isn't about the gay agenda. This is about the LGBTQ plus agenda. They... I, I told this story to several different audiences um, uh, to whom I spoke over the course of the last month, and I may have mentioned it on the radio, too. There's a reason they chose the rainbow as their symbol um, a long time ago, and it's because it's attractive to children. That's why your kindergarten classroom and mine, they were all decorated with rainbows everywhere, on the bulletin boards, stuck on the walls. And it's because kids are attracted to those colors, obviously. It's bright. It makes them happy. And they're drawn to it. It's why they, uh, it's why they decorate most, most of those, you know, preschool and young primary grades in those colors and with rainbows. And the difference between them decorating with the rainbows then and decorating the little young children's classrooms with rainbows now is that then the rainbow was a sign of God's covenant with this people. Uh, and now the rainbow means you should uh, prepare yourself to uh, mutilate your body and become something that you're not, because that's what we're going to encourage you to do. There's a reason they surround, surround rather the books on the library shelves in the kids' classrooms, the ones that are uh, p- promoting and pushing transing gay pornographic imagery and literature and all of these types of things. On school libraries, or excuse me, school bookshelves, library bookshelves, they adorn those uh, particular sections uh, with rainbows. Kids are drawn. Then the kids read, then the kids start to think, and then the kids start, before their prefrontal lobes have been developed, to be indoctrinated with the idea that this is what they're supposed to do. Well, joining me now is Rabbi Kurt Schneider. He is uh, behind an international movement to take the rainbow back, quite literally. Taking the rainbow back, calling for Christians to stand strong against the LGBTQ plus agenda that, again, did not end simply because the month of groom ended. Rabbi Schneider has uh, multi-millions of followers around the globe. Despite more than 65% of America claiming to be born-again Christians, the Bible clearly disproves of homosexual relationships And the rainbow, the sign of God's promise of redemption from the books of Genesis and Revelation, has been hijacked by the LGBTQ plus community, as I just described. Rabbi Schneider says it's time to take it back, and he can tell us more about that right now. Rabbi, it's good to have you on our program. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Bob. That's some great insights that you shared. I loved it. 
You know, a lot of people associate the rainbow, believers associate the rainbow with Rashid or Genesis chapter, uh, where the Lord put the rainbow in the sky, 916 of Genesis, and he said that he will never again destroy the earth with a flood. It's a covenant of mercy. But I'd like to think about a few other scriptures that really even bring another dimension to us as God's people to understand how important the rainbow, Bob, should be to you and I, to us as believers. First of all, I'm thinking of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28, where Ezekiel sees the Lord in the Spirit, and he said he appeared in the form of a man, and there was fire inside him, and the fire extended both up and down. And then Ezekiel said all around him was the radiance of a rainbow. And when we continue to the very end of the Scriptures, in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, where the Apostle John is on the island of Patmos, and he gets caught up in the Spirit, in which he receives what we know today as the book of Revelation, he records there in Revelation chapter 4, verse 3, that in this experience, he saw God on his throne, and around God's throne, John records, is a rainbow. The rainbow is the manifestation of the glory, the beauty, and the majesty of Hashem, of God. And we as God's people cannot be silent while it's being hijacked to be the exclusive symbol of the LGBTQ movement. So what I am encouraging God's people to do is to take action. First of all, I'm asking God's people, go to the website, takingtherainbowback.com. The last word is back. Takingtherainbowback.com. And join the movement. If we can get enough believers to start wearing these T-shirts that we're making available through the website out in public, then when we get enough of us out there doing this, pretty soon when the public sees a rainbow on somebody, they're not going to automatically assume that it's part of the LGBTQ agenda. They're going to say, oh, I don't know if that's a Christian that's giving testimony to the glory of God and the rainbow that surrounds God's throne, or if that's an LGBTQ individual. And we can neutralize the LGBT's use of this. And I'm also wanting, as a goal of this movement, Bob, to call God's people to come together in courage and to stand together in unity on the earth for the purposes of righteousness. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We cannot be silent during this time. It doesn't matter. We can't control the outcome of America, but we can control our own lifestyle and our own choices. And if God's people are silent at such a time as this, only God knows what they're going to reap for that. We have to stand out. We have to open our mouth. Rabbi Schneider, you're a homophobe, and you're a transphobe, and you're a bigot. You hear this, I'm sure, all the time because of the things that you say here. You're strong, though. You're a biblical scholar. You can back up the things that you're talking about with chapter and verse. You are a man of deep faith, obviously, as a rabbi. You can handle those slings and arrows of those who call you those names. Most people can't. What advice do you have for them that if they wear the rainbow and, and, and join this movement and try to convince people it's not about LGBTQ, it's about God and so forth, they're going to be called transphobes if they speak out right. against the rainbow um, uh, that has been, as you say, I think hijacked, appropriately so. It's been hijacked by this movement. And, and they're afraid to speak out against it because they don't want to get canceled. They don't want to get in fights. They don't want to lose you know, relationships with family and friends and so forth. So again, like I said, you're strong. A lot of people are not. How do you, how do you help them? 
Well, first of all, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need the fear of the Lord, the clean fear of the Lord. Many people don't realize that the Bible actually says that hell is for the fearful and unbelieving. A lot of people don't realize what a great uh, sin fear is. Fear is a terrible sin. In fact, God commands us not to fear over a hundred times in the Bible. So Jesus said that hell is for the fearful and the unbelieving. Yeshua also said if we're ashamed of him and his words in this wicked and adulterous generation, he will be ashamed of us when he comes again in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. So the first thing I would encourage God's people to do is to recognize that we're going to fear somebody. Are we going to fear the world and fear man, or are we going to fear God when we stand before him? We have to speak out. Jesus said, blessed are you when men say all types of evil and insult you for my name's sake. Your reward in heaven is great. God's people, I'm talking to you, beloved friends of mine today, beloved saints. I'm talking to you today. We have to make a choice right now. To not make a choice to stand out and to speak up is making a choice. It's a choice of cowardice, and I, and I really want to say that with love and affection. We have to stand out. If you back down here, if you back down here, the next thing you're going to back down on is your claim that you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We are talking with uh, Rabbi Kurt Schneider. He is uh, he's a he's a Clevelander. He's from Beechwood. Uh, he is nationally known, internationally known. You may see him on Newsmax, um, and he is leading this movement to take the rainbow back. The website he wants you to go to is takingtherainbowback.com, uniting God's people to stand up for righteousness. Rabbi Schneider. Um, I, I want to go to one of the uh, uh, statements that you made or that you wrote about. Um, um, about uh, people placing themselves in opposition to the full revelation of God's word, which teaches from the very beginning that homosexuality is not God's design. I have I have uh, been talking with a lot of people that are really trying to separate the LGB from the TQIA plus because mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about two different fights here, and the the one that's the most dangerous in my view, in many other people's view, is the the part that that targets children. Um, the LGB individuals, people who are who are homosexuals, I don't think are our enemies in this fight to protect our kids, which is the goal, in my view, of the movement, of the LGBTQ movement. Um, you seem to kind of unite them, that the entirety of LGBTQ is what we need to to talk about here because it's not godly and it's uh, in its in its lifestyle choices and so forth. Can you explain that so people will understand why it is you say what you do and whether or not there is room for us to separate those letters out and really focus on protecting our kids from uh, from the indoctrination of this lifestyle? Wow, that's a big topic. That's kind of a long-form discussion. Let me make a couple comments. I think the first thing, if I understood Bob correctly, that you were alluding to is I'm saying that sometimes in our human compassion for people and in our love for people and our sensitivity, we, we, we find ourselves siding with our hum, human emotions in terms of we have a neighbor that is living in a, a, a gay lifestyle or even a transgender lifestyle or a work associate or even a family member. And we're so moved by our sympathy and empathy and love and compassion for that person that we find ourselves accepting that and embracing them and not speaking out against it because of our compassion. And when we do that, what we do is we find ourselves in a position where we're actually taking a side against the clear revealed Word of God, which from the very beginning made it very clear that transgenderism and homosexuality are 
absolutely abhorred to God. They're outside of his divine design. That is not a criticism of a person. It's a lifestyle, and it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a behavior that's out of God's divine design. It's out of order. So that would be the first thing I would say. I'm standing against a whole realm of dysfunction and disorder, and this is to me what righteousness is about. It's being in right order. So I feel it's important for us to speak against both of, of the arms of this movement, whether it's the gay agenda or the transgender agenda, which is your uh, detailing here has been very aggressive towards children with the drag queen story hours, etc. But I'm really focusing coming against both because it's just complete disorder, and disorder is what brings the eruption of mass evil. So I'm standing against disorder to declare truth in all directions as it results to this movement. That's, I do understand what you're saying, though. Yeah, that's a good explanation, Rabbi. And and I think maybe what I'm talking about is more secular than faithful, uh, because I'm just I'm from a from a legal and moral standpoint. Um, Adult in a free country like this, uh, uh, in a free world, adults can can choose to do what they do, and if they choose to live a life that you know, again, I'm trying to keep it secular away from religion, you know, but but if we bring the religious aspect of sin into it, if they choose to live their lives a certain way, and if they choose to say, well, this is how I was born, and this is what I'm going to act upon, and you know what, adults can do adult things. It's it's the separation of that from bringing children into that lifestyle that is very, very important to me. Uh, that's not to say yeah. I don't wish better for anybody. I mean, I want everybody to be happy, and I want them everybody to be blessed by God. I want everybody who is a person of faith, whether you be Judaism or Christianity or anything else, I want people to have that relationship with God. But at the at the end of the day, free will is going to is going to trump everything else when you're an adult. I don't want children being brainwashed into saying this is something they can or should do, and that's where I draw the separation. So is it just a matter of you know a secular viewpoint versus a faithful viewpoint? Well, first of all, you know, yeah, it's it's what's going on. It's so horrific that there aren't even words that are deep enough to declare what's happening right now, and, and I believe it's only going to get worse. But that does not give God's people an excuse to just surrender, because we can make a difference in the earth. We can make a difference. Even though the trajectory of where the world is going, according to Scripture, it's going to go from bad to worse before Yeshua's return, we as God's people have to shine brighter. And this thing that is spreading, and as uh, you're um, uh, sharing, Bob, how it's affecting children, it's affecting children both through, in my view, both through the aggressive uh, targeting of children, through, as you had pointed out, literature in school libraries, uh, you know, public school systems hanging flags in their school systems celebrating the LGBTQ movement. It's, it's that, but it's also just, this thing is a spirit. If you listen, this is a very controversial statement I'm going to make right now, but if you listen to, to guys' voices today, and you listen to the tone of their voices today, as opposed to what um, a, a guy's voice would sound like 50 years ago, I hear in many guys' voices, I'm talking about kids, young kids, mm-hmm. uh, there's, like, there's a homosexual sound to the voice. It's a, even if they're not living a gay lifestyle, you can hear the gay spirit in the voices of the younger generation. Not everybody, for sure, but it's just like this thing, it's like a, it's like a disease. It's spreading. So it's not just even the direct targeting. It's the whole. It's the whole. There's this gay. I, I don't thing. even know, it, Rabbi. I don't even know if it would necessarily be quote unquote sounding homosexual or gay or whatever. It's just that there has been a very, very targeted 
attack on masculinity that femininity has been has has replaced it in a lot of males you know they feel like they have to sound more feminine you know a lot of people call it like metrosexual it's not necessarily gay in any way it's just that being the tough burly man that is the protector that is the uh provider and so on and so forth that has been throughout human history is frowned upon now and that attack on masculinity makes femininity be it's you know kind of replace it in a manner of speaking i think we're saying the same thing Yep. So, um, so the, web, rate, the, web, uh, the is, website, yeah, I'm, I apologize. Yeah. We're a little short on time here, Rabbi Schneider, but I just want to uh, point people once again to the website, Taking the Rainbow Back, use Uniting God's People to Stand Up for Righteousness. Uh, it is takingtherainbowback.com, and Rabbi Kurt Schneider is is pushing and promoting uh, a return to seeing the rainbow as um you know, a part of God, and quite frankly, a blessing and a gift to us from God, uh, setting several uh, scripture verses pointing to that. Take that back away from the LGBTQ community, which I believe hijacked it, as you do, Rabbi Schneider, for the purpose of recruiting children, drawing kids to the bright colors that we all are drawn to like that uh, when we are in our most formative years. I think it's a recruiting tool, and I completely concur. We need to return that uh, from the from its use there to, to its use, uh, you know, as as defined defined by our Bible. Amen, brother. Thank you for having me on today. Apologies. That was a glitch. Go ahead. Hello? Yeah, I apologize. That was a glitch, Rabbi Schneider. Please continue. Oh, thank you. No, I just want to welcome all my Cleveland brothers and sisters today. I love you guys. Please join the movement, takingtherainbowback.com. Listen, at the end of the day, it's like the Lord said to the prophet of old. Whether they repent or not, that's not on you. But if you don't warn them, then it is on you. We need to do what we're supposed to do. We need to stand for truth on the earth. This is not just a side issue. This is at the forefront of what is going on in the world today. And the gospel message affects every area of life. And certainly it affects this area because God's pinnacle of creation, as we all would agree with, is mankind whom he created in his own image, male and female. He created them. Please visit the website, takingtherainbowback.com. Join the movement. I love you guys and hope to see some of you in person sometime. God bless before, you, Rabbi. Before this part of it, all right, my brother. Blessings God, to you. Thank you. God bless. It's at 1129. We'll take our time out here at the bottom. We've got one more segment to go. If you want to be a part of it, you may at 216-901-0945. Right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. All right, 1137, final segment of the show. Appreciate you being with us. Final segment of the week. Boy, it went fast, didn't it? you got to love that Tuesday holiday. Wednesday felt like Monday, and yet, boom, here we are. It's the end of the week. That's cool. Really good stuff. Uh, thanks to our guest today. We talked to uh, State Representative Brian Stewart. We talked with, um, who else did we talk to today? We spoke with Rabbi uh, uh, Rabbi uh, uh, Kurt Schneider. We talked with Dr. Michael Parker in hour number one. If you missed any of those interviews, uh, you should listen to them. Go back and check the podcast about an hour after the show, around 1 o'clock or so. They're posted every day at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Uh, let's go to some phone calls here in our final segment. Scott in Concord is up on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Scott, fire away. Hey, Bob, I'm on the Riverside School Board, and we really have to get this vote yes on issue one thing passed. And 
I wanted to call because Robert Sprague is going to be the keynote speaker July 24th at the Croatian Hall in Eastlake. We have uh, what's called the Joshua Super PAC, and we're sponsoring this event. And it's going to be a summit to inform people about issue one and to energize them to get out and vote, vote early, because there will still be two weeks to vote early, mm-hmm. and to go tell everyone about it. So uh, we, I did email over to you something to your uh, citizensforfreespeech.org email that if you wanted to put up on site, because we really would like people to at least let us know they're coming so we have a head count. We can handle as many people that would come. Well, you know, I'm glad to hear that, Scott, and I'm glad, and thank you so much for your work on the school board, too. Um, We do. We need to promote not only get out there uh, and vote early, as you say, but also tell other people. I literally had my wife ask me, and I mentioned this during my interview with Dr. Parker, Asked me last night as we were watching TV, uh, and an ad came on against issue one, and it was the ad. It was the ad featuring the scissors cutting up the Constitution and suggesting and telling us that if you vote for issue one, you'd be shredding the Constitution. It's a just straight up, outright, unadulterated lie. It's the exact opposite of the reality that issue one, if passed, will strengthen our Constitution because it will not allow outside uh, interests to to amend it. Uh, with a willy-nilly 50% plus one majority, uh, with only 44 out of the 88 counties having to have signatures to get these things on the ballot, or on the, uh, yeah, on the ballot. So, um, she said, where are the issue one, uh, pro issue one ads? And I said, I don't know! Not enough people. I mean, look, the opponents of issue one are well funded. They are extremely well funded. Planned Parenthood, uh, teachers unions. I mean, they are bringing in money from all of the radicals, huge dollars that want to enshrine abortion and transing of minors into the Ohio Constitution without parents having any say whatsoever. Um, and they have a lot of money and they're buying a lot of ads. We don't have on our side that kind of money. So we need to really rely upon things like this, radio like this, interviews that I'm able to, able to provide facts that I'm able to elicit from our guests so that you take that message to, to the others uh, in your life. Tell every available voter to vote yes on issue one early, if possible. Do not wait till August 8th. Starting on Tuesday, July 11th, you can go to your board of elections, check the hours, and cast your vote early for issue one. Tell every available of age registered Ohio voter you know to cast that vote. It is that important. Great stuff, and Scott. That, and that's what we're doing here. We're energizing people. And even those people that may have already voted, we're looking to energize them and go out and tell five people, get them out to vote, because there will still be two weeks to early vote at that point, and then we will have August 8th in addition to that. We need to energize our people, and I think if we get that message out there, Bob, we can win. Well, that's exactly what the goal is. Thank you again uh, for the uh, call, Scott. I appreciate that. Let's go to Lisa in Medina. Lisa Woods, Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Hey, Lisa. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, um, I am so glad that you had um, the guests that you had on today, and I loved hearing about the rainbow. I am so... um, I in agreement with, with everything he said about the rainbow and God's promise. So thank you for that so much. Oh, well, no, no, I agree with you. I agree, and I, uh, I certainly appreciate and respect those points of view as well. It's really important that we take the message back, and obviously the symbolism as well. So I was glad to bring, him to, the, glad to, glad to bring him to the air. Uh, what's going on but in the I, Dinah County Friends and Neighbors? 
Well, tomorrow we have Mike Anadakis. He is the president of the Ohio Right to Life, and he is going to be speaking in support of Issue 1 tomorrow at McFan. And I encourage everyone out there to, to grab, you know, grab their friends from church, their, their, their um, you know, kids at school, their parents. Pe- grab your your other folks, not just your patriot folks, but the good the good people that are out there that aren't as um, active. They need to hear this message. They need to hear this message. And um, you know, Medina County Friends and Neighbors is a is a friendly place to bring people. We welcome everybody. It's nonpartisan, and they don't have to think that it's um, you know. Uh, you know, a hardcore Republican or this or that. You know, it really is a nonpartisan way to bring folks out to hear the message. Michael Ganadakis is an amazing speaker. Um, he, he and and this this issue has brought together so many of the different right to life groups. It, it's really uh, you know done some incredible things, and I hope that people can come out and hear that. And a lot of first timers because they're the ones that need to know. Absolutely right. And I, and I think it's great that you're having Michael Ganadakis out. Obviously, it's never been more important than right now to listen to and talk to people with Right to Life. And uh, again, as I said to the last caller about uh, the August 8th election, to share that information with other people. If you can't bring them with you to McFan to have, uh, you know, to, uh, to listen and learn, take the messages you get when you go to McFan and listen to speakers like Michael to the people uh, that you have in your life so that they know. Good stuff, exactly. Lisa. Always appreciate yep. hearing from you. So uh, 9 o'clock tomorrow, right? Yep, don't forget, yep, 9 o'clock at the Thirsty Cowboy, which is at 2743 Medina Road in Medina, right by 71 and 18 behind the uh, uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Got it. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate you very much. The music is a play-in, and that means I cannot take the other callers, and I apologize to you for that. I am a slave to the clock, like so many of us are uh, when you're on the job. we got to do what the clock says. The clock says we're done. Thanks again to my team, uh, to uh, Johnny Howes running our show, to Marianne, to Marcy. Uh, by the way, if you haven't followed me on Rumble, do that. You know the um, the um, uh, Hunters in the Basement song that we came up with? Uh, it is uploaded to my Rumble page. It's the only thing on it. I just created it. It's called Always Right. Check that out if you would like to hear that song. Uh, everyone have a great weekend. Be well. Be safe. Stay free. I'll see you on Monday. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.